This week on Merchants of Change, we've got Charlie Ruiz. Charlie was a pitcher drafted by the Colorado Rockies in 2009 before starting his sales career at Capriza. Today, Charlie is the founder and CEO of his own coaching company called CLR Connection. Here he is, Charlie Ruiz. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder and CEO of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes and military veterans into becoming a professional salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? Today on the show, we've got Charlie Ruiz. Charlie, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure, JR. Happy to be here. I'm pumped to have you, man. So for, for any new listeners out there, uh, Merchants of Change is a show that, that we started to help new salespeople and, and people considering a career shift into sales and, and all the athletes and veterans out there that are going through the, the tough transition into corporate America. And that's our mission at Shift Group is we help elite athletes and military veterans become elite sales professionals. And our guests are, are usually former athletes or veterans who found success in sales and business. And from like an episode structure perspective, Charlie, we start with your sports career, we hit, we'll hit your transition into sales. And, and obviously we want to talk about business and then we can kind of finish with some, some nuggets about sales and business for, for the audience. You like the plan? Winner, winner. I'll take it. Awesome. I love it, buddy. All right. Um, this is going to be great. I, I, I know Charlie and he's very thoughtful and, and I'm excited to, to dig in. So um, Charlie, I always start with a really broad question. I ask my, my guests to kind of recall some of the favorite memories that you have from playing baseball. Where, did, where does your mind drift off to when I ask that question? When, when I think of baseball, I think of like, I truly think of nostalgia and not just in sitting watching the games with my dad or my uncle. I think of my apartment complex and where it all kind of started for me, which was like wiffle ball, we just happened to be in the back to where there was no cars and we just had the perfect like lawn set up where it was a little bush. Then there was a fence. There was a line on the fence. So if you hit it over the, over the line, it was, it was a triple. If you hit it on the roof, it was a bomb. Like it was, it was childhood nostalgia. And I think of those moments and all the things that carry into that, like doing the Griffey swing, all of that, all of that. That's what I think of. Uh, dude, Junior, Junior, that was my that was my go to swing backwards hat. I still rock it. Done. I, lo I love that. Um, looking back at your your playing career, you know one of the one of the things that I think we all miss the most is is our teammates. When you think back to some of your favorite teammates from from your baseball career, what are some of the the traits and characteristics that they, they have in common? Mm. What do I think about my teammates? I think, I think of the weirdly enough, I think about the guys who, who didn't didn't play as much, and how much that also inspired me when I wasn't playing as much. Uh, so it was almost like the guy on the bench or the redshirt guys, a freshman who was hurt, who happened to be, you know, my 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 throwing partner, and I just remember thinking about them, and how they were great teammates because they were the ones who 
would bring the energy and bring the heat when all the other guys who are meant to do the job are doing the job. So for me, I think of those teammates, the guys who are on the bench, because they inspired me more than anything and how they showed up. That's, that's a really good, I, I, that's so true. Like you're still a team, you're still on, you're still a team member. You still, everybody plays a role. That's awesome. Everyone. How do, you, how, how do you think your teammates would describe you as a teammate? Quiet and convicted, weirdly enough. Uh, quiet, maybe not so much. You, you maybe see me in a space, stepping on the stage quite literally uh, in, in an area that I don't do as much. But I was never the rah-rah guy. I always would watch that rah-rah, the very A-personality, charismatic guy. And I'm like, I like part of what he's doing, but I'm more about like the action side of just like, if you need inspiration from me as a leader here, just you're going to watch me work. And that is going to be the inspiration that you need or the way I am, I motivate as a leader here. And I think that they'd be like, yeah, you were quiet, but man, when you were out on the mound, you were convicted. I love that. That's, that's an important character trait to have as a pitcher too. Um, how, so you, you played professionally, but to, to talk, talk to us a little bit about like the end of your career. How did, how did you know your baseball career was over? It was a slow burn. I knew the career was over. It was a slow burn, unfortunately, because I had gotten hurt. And when you're closing, you don't really have time to wonder why you had a bad game or a bad outing. And I think the full story behind it is I was fortunate to have a, a hell of a finish to my first season and then a rock star starts to the, my second. I didn't look at stats. I didn't look at anything until a reporter came into the locker room and was like, you haven't given up running 32 innings. How's that feel? And then you got all the pitchers in the bullpen. They're like, yo, reporter, don't, you don't ask that question. Like, do you not know what superstition is in baseball? And I remember having an outing, Jose Altuve, JD Martinez, right? Double back to back bomb. So I go from giving up no runs to six runs in two consecutive games, right? Total of six runs in two games. And I'm like, all right, mentally get back, go figure it out. My roommate happened to be behind the gun that night and was like, hey, you, you the, the radar, behind the radar gun. <laughs> you, you were throwing 83 tonight and your split was coming in at 72. And I'm like, well, no wonder. So after that, you start rehabbing and then spring training hits or, and then the off season hits. And then next thing you know, you're like, wait a second, I'm not getting better. And it took almost 20 months for me to end up getting surgery, having both of my shoulder and labrum cuff just torn up to then say, okay, it took me almost 24 months in total to realize my career was over oh. because it was rehab and surgery, more rehab. And then you're 25. And you're like, all right, it's time. Um, but I were to say if there was the transition piece and we can get into that, I knew it was over two years after I had originally gotten hurt. Yeah. Which is a long time to just be in limbo. Yeah, that's that's tough. In injuries are the, the worst way to go out, man. I can yeah. relate. Uh, and that was it. That was it. But I think that's where if you were to take that, JR, into the transition piece, it was 
I had to go back to my junior college and I had to find a way. Somebody told me to close the chapter. And I went back to coach to really see where I was at and to rehab. And I remember getting out there. I called my dad. I said, hey, dad, I'm going to throw an inner squad to the guys that I was coaching all fall after 22 months of rehab. Went out there. My dad came out, sat in the same bleachers that meant the world to me because my junior college was the two most transformational years for me ever. My buddy was in the back behind a fence watching. I called him. And man, I go out there and I like let it all out there. I was like, all right, let's see where I'm at. 80, 81, 82. I come off the mound. Guy was like, hey man, that was it. Like you hit 83 once. And this is almost 24 months after rehabbing. I hugged my dad. I'll never forget that moment. I hugged my dad, right? I cried, he cried. He knew it was over. I knew it was over. I walked into my head coach's office that next day, the junior college. He knew it was, and that was the start of the transition. And it, I'm so happy I closed the chapter on my own terms, even yeah. though it wasn't my own terms. I made it right. in my own terms. Yeah. Special moment with your dad, too, because like that connection over sports is you can't. It's nothing like it. No, no. I, I, I vividly remember that, man. Wow. Unbelievable. So, so then what happens, right? You, you hang up the cleats. How, how'd you find your way to sales? Did, did you look at any other pass? How did I find my way into sales? I, as an athlete, you, you told, Hey, get into sales. Right? <laughs> I was the first to go to go to college and my parents were like, just do whatever you need to do. We're here to support you. So I just listened to my teammates who had got into sales and were like, hey, go, go start knocking on doors. You're in Silicon Valley. So that's what I did. I just didn't have direction. And I'm sure it's probably what we're going to get into. I just started quite literally calling companies and people. I didn't even have LinkedIn. I didn't know what to do. I was just like, hey, who do I don't know anybody. LinkedIn didn't exist. At that. It wasn't like a thing. Yeah. I probably spent six months of having random phone calls with people and going to random networking events and just getting blown out the water. <laughs> I mean, I'm 26. I'm handing these tech companies my resume and they're like, you've done nothing. And I'm like, you, sure. Based on your world, but based on my world, I just accomplished something that a very, very, very small percentage of humans will ever get a chance to, but I'll, I guess, not take that intern job and go take my resume somewhere else. Yep. And, and you landed, you ended up landing a, a BDR job at a company called Capriza, right? Yes. A company called Capriza, Palo Alto, small Victorian house, 11 people, me, other gentlemen, Ryan, two kind of BDR marketing people doing a little bit of all the things. I'll never forget sitting there and interviewing and walking in and having a gentleman named Bob, he was one of our solution engineers, look over at me and go, hey, just so you know, all those phone calls and all the things you're doing is going to serve you later in life. I know it don't feel like it right now, but it will. And the only reason why I got that job, JR, was because I sat across from two athletes. One was a football guy. One was, I think, a lacrosse guy. And after getting no and no and no and no, 
they look at my resume and they're like, you played pro ball? Like, yeah. You know? And they were like, oh, we could teach you some skills, man. We're going to sign you for like no money. <laughs> you know, 30K in, in the Bay Area is not any money, right? But no. like, hey, for six months, we'll see how it goes or three months. And then we'll bump you up to like what you should get. Uh, I said, hey, at this point, put me in, coach. Sign me up. I, I need something. Yep. Got the job on the spot after lunch. Drove by the Facebook sign where it used to have a big thumbs up in Menlo Park. Took a picture and my next career was off and running. That is awesome, man. I, and by the way, that point of like, this is going to serve you the rest of your life is truer words have never been spoken, man. So true. What, what was hard in that first, that first role? What was hard? What was easy? Like, like, how would you describe that? I think what was hard about that first role was the lack of direction that I had, that I wish I had had. Uh, and part of what I share with other folks now, I didn't have direction and it wasn't because of my managers or my, my current boss, they were busy doing their own thing. These are chief revenue VP of sales. These are people that are out on the road. Hey, go figure it out. Well, I just spent 20 years being told what to do for every single part of my life in sport and performance. And now I'm like, email, Google, like automation, like, what is this? So I had no direction. I just had go do the thing. I needed more direction and guidance. What was easy for me? Yeah. What was easy for me about that first job was probably being able to connect with the people in internally, right? Getting to understand how they operate learning about them and being curious about what works for them and what doesn't work for them. And then building the relationships which to me is one of the most important things I did back then and that I continue to do in every space that I step into. I couldn't agree more. That That's one thing I think that gets undersold about athletes specifically is like they know what it means to be on a team. And when you're a rookie, you, you, you're you used to like looking up to the vets and being like, all right, what is like, this is someone I admire. I'm just going to mirror this person. And, and there's so much value just in that approach and that mindset that people don't really, I think it, it gets discounted a lot, you know? hundred percent. It's welcomed. And if you don't have the manager of the team that is providing that space for you and you've been in that space and you, and you enjoy that to ask for that help, to ask to shadow, it was such a hurdle for me to get over. And not to mention the ego that you may have as an athlete. And also yep. the fact that there's a lot of egos in technology too. So you may be asking help from the person who maybe has a bigger ego than you and they don't want to help you. Right. And that's a hard, that's a hard pill to swallow too. Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. Now you talk about the lack of direction. Um, and I, I know you have these conversations, so I'm really curious to get, get your take on this. If like a, another pro baseball player called you up and said, Charlie, I'm, I'm about to hang up my cleats and I'm thinking about getting into sales. What kind of guidance are you giving those people? Are there questions you ask? Are there, are there things that you tell them to like make sure they're on the, out, the, the lookout for? What kind of guidance am I giving the, the pro ball player who wants to get into sales? Yeah. First to... Go find somebody, a team, 
And by team, I mean a person, like your own, your next board of directors, your next coaching staff, that's gonna help serve you in this next phase of your transition for sales. Go talk to someone in software sales. Go talk to someone who does door to door. Go talk to someone, right, who's a VP who oversees sales leaders. Like go get curious first on what the profession entails before you just jump right in and go, I just wanna get into sales. Like, what does that even mean? I have them go define and figure out what that looks like. And then from there, it starts to get more clear. Step one, find that. Step two, now go find your coach, mentor, or program that can help guide you through that process. That, that's good. When, when you're thinking about that part of the step where it's like, all right, they, they've had enough conversations where they know exactly what it means to be in sales and to start that career path. Um, how, how, how would you coach someone when they're thinking about selecting a company? Um, I think, you know, the, the Victorian house in Palo Alto is a really cool experience. It's not for everybody. I actually don't think smaller companies are better than bigger companies or vice versa. I think they're different. Um, and it depends on the person, but like there are certain characteristics that I think are important in a company when you, that you start your career at, what, what, what's your list look like? Such a good point. What is, what is the compare and contrast of the company? What to look for? Yeah. Two prong answer. First one being, if you need guidance and support and you know that you work better with that, which a lot of athletes do go join that bigger company. That's less sexy. Go get the systems, go get the training that they already roll out as part of the onboarding so that you can kind of learn some fundamentals, right? To understand, okay, hey, I've got a good manager support system. I've got 10 other guys, gals that I can kind of learn from and I'm gonna get a team environment. If you know that that's the type of environment that you thrive in, don't turn away the company that has the training already built in. If you know on the other end that you want autonomy you got some background. You don't mind the lone wolf. You like figuring things out. You're a problem solver and you've kind of done that work. You know that. Yeah, the startup environment where you can wear multiple hats is great for you. So I like to just kind of separate and ask them questions to get them to think about where they like to show up as an athlete, right? Or a military leader. Like, where are they? How do they like to operate? And then from there is where I kind of nudge or offer the compare and contrast. Because after Capriza, I'm with the Salesforce. And in six months, I was out because I realized that that wasn't something that I wanted. And that was a quick turn. I failed there. Yeah, I think we, we share that in common. I'm, I'm not a, I don't think I do well. I've never really worked at a big company. The biggest company I worked at started, it was like 15 people when I joined and it became 700 people. Yeah. And like when it was 700 people, I was like way, way out of my element. Um, and, and like you said, it's not, it's about the person. That's really good advice. And, and it's, that really starts with self-discovery, I think. And a, and a huge part of self-discovery is it, we, we work a lot with these guys and girls about crafting their story, about their time in sports, their time in the military, and crafting it in a way that makes it really easy for like a hiring manager to see why they might be a great candidate. It's one of the things that I think guys like me and you could have used, you know, when we were 25 at networking, networking events with our resume, we had no idea how to tell that story. Yeah. How did, how did, how would you advise someone 
to tell their own story? How'd you tell how do you tell your story or how did you tell your story? I tell my story and how would I advise somebody else how to tell their story in sales, or just in general, is what were the moments where you actually didn't win? I like to hear those to where you had to lean into some sort of system, discipline, or mindset that allowed you to then shine on those days that you didn't. And what were the stories behind that and how it served other people? So I always think of it as, what did I do when I wasn't winning? I want to hear that story. And how does that then reflect how you are serving the greater good of the team? Because if I can leave with service and I can talk about what I did as a team member, so I kind of mentioned earlier, I think of the guy who supported me on the bench, who was my throwing partner, who wasn't playing. That is inspirational. He's not playing, but he's disciplined and he's showing up every day in service of me at that point, because he's helping me get better every day. I want to hear that story. I don't want to hear when you went in and closed the game and everyone was giving you high fives. I want to hear when you struggled, when you were on the bench and what you did then. Tell that story. Tell those stories. Because that's where the character and the values come out. Lead with that. Less about the other stuff. That, that's really good. And, and, and it aligns really well with our message to, to these folks as well. Um, and I, I, honestly, I think that's important for any transition, like being able to tell, being able to understand what's meaningful from the prior experience into the next one. Um, you, like me, you, you made a big transition out of sales and started your own business and became a CEO. What, what inspired your entrepreneurial journey, Charlie? Trial and error. I never knew I was walking into the chair. I don't know how, how, how it was for you, right? Uh, if you ever, you always knew you were going to be an entrepreneur. I, I didn't. No. I did not. I think what I realized was I looked into the self-awareness part of what, what gives me light? What do I enjoy doing? And unfortunately, I was, you know, at a company managing accounts. I had a great, you know, great leadership team. And three or four years into my sales career, and it was just a long sales cycle. And for me, it was more of not just a long sales cycle, but it was what lights me up every day. And it was the conversations I was having with my teammates. It was when I would get to go on site and work on a problem with somebody directly and walk out of a room and be like, we just solved something like live. It was when I decided to go coach at the local private rival high school. I can't, still can't believe I did that. But it was, it was transformational because it was a realization of you need to have some sort of immediate impact. And what way to do that? It was through coaching. And through that process, I ended up walking into this communications firm in Silicon Valley who had been coaching leaders for decades. And I was introduced to the world of what executive coaching is. After five years of immersing myself in that, I was like, I got to go do this for myself because then I can say yes to the individuals, the groups, the teams, and the companies that I want to work with, that have an athletic DNA, that have a military background, that understand my language. Let me yeah. merge those worlds. And the inspiration came from that. Can you talk a little bit about your business now, Charlie, what, what you do and, and like what makes you unique? Yeah. Yeah. So after six, seven years of being in the communication and leadership development space, 
and also kind of pairing the previous five or six years in sales, I dismissed sport for the longest time, JR. I didn't talk about it. But what I realized through some of my coaching and facilitation, that when I can blend the worlds of performance and sports, right, the mindset, the discipline, the habits, and some of the business acumen that I learned with some of the leaders in Silicon Valley, that there was a correlation of what performance is from a team and an individual perspective. So now that's what I'm creating. It's a coaching program and practice where I am kind of merging my worlds of performance in sport and tech and being able to bring that to people in individual formats and group trainings and also starting to speak, right? starting to speak to both teams and also like at events. Uh, so I do see a vision where eventually I got a team, right? A team of former professional athletes, Olympians that also have the affinity to service and impact where I got a suite of individuals that can come with me and we can go facilitate and, 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 and guide leaders uh, through our blend of sport and performance. So awesome. And, and I, I've been a, Charlie and I met because I followed him on uh, Instagram originally, and I highly recommend our listeners to, to do the same. He's, his content is awesome, inspiring, um, and, and just really cool. And actually, it's funny, Charlie, I know we're talking about two different things here. We're talking about sales, we're talking about coaching, but as the son of a coach, I think, and, and I've coached myself, coached youth hockey for 15 years in South Boston. I think coaching and selling have a lot in common. You're trying, ultimately, you're trying to move people. You're trying to help people make changes that will improve their results. Um, if you were going to publish like a playbook, Charlie's playbook for coaching, what, what are some principles we would find in there? Charlie's playbook principles. I like this. And, and just to caveat, yes, coaching, selling, right? Peanut butter jelly. I'm with totally. that. I'm with that. Are you actually listening to the other person and not with what you feel like you need to give them, but are you meeting them where they're at? So I think that this concept of listening and being curious, like genuinely curious, not in service of you, but in service of them, I think is a game changer. I don't think people do that nearly as much as they should. And I'm cautious on saying should, but you should listen, actually. Uh, second is you got to throw the playbook out is another principle that I have. Of, I think a beautiful part about coaching in this space or selling is being able to adapt and meet them where they are at that exact moment. So wherever I may be, if we agree on a system, we agree on something. If you come to me and you got something that is pressing, just like an athlete might, something happened right before they walked onto the field or onto the court. My job as a coach is to meet them where they're at and to facilitate and adapt and improvise on the spot. One of the things that was written under the bill of my hat comes from the military, IOA, right? Improvise, overcome, adapt. And I love that back then, having no idea where it came from. And then talking to my uncle and some other my my family members who were in the military, they're like, oh yeah, like that's that's how we operate. And I'm like, well, no, no, no surprise. That's why I I love that. And that is how I approach my coaching too. What is the O? It's it, it's improvise. What's the O? Overcome. Overcome and adapt. Yeah. Well, I away. I'm stealing that. 
I'll yeah. give you credit. I'll give you credit twice that it's mine. That's my rule. <laughs> I love that might it. be that might be the name of the episode too. That's right. awesome. I love I like, that. I've yeah. never heard that. Yeah, and and it, and it's. I realized that it came from military through conversations with folks, whether there's uncles that were Marine Army, they're like, oh yeah, it's like a prime. I think it's from the Marines. That's what it was, and I'm like, that's what I'm doing on the mound at the end of the game because everything is going wrong. Improvise, overcome, and adapt. It was just like a frame that I would always tell myself. That's that is gold. And and yeah. by the way, I know we said that was a coaching playbook, but just for our audience, that is also a playbook for sales. If you're not a, if you're not approaching every conversation you have with a client with curiosity and actively listening, you're not a salesperson. You're you're pitching products, and that's not what sales is. That's what sales used to be. It's not like that anymore. You've got to listen to seek to understand is what I always say. Yes. 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 The seeking to understand, I, again, a shout out or, not, or an acknowledgement to my previous organization. We would talk a lot about Aristotle and, and they, they reference a lot of us as leaders in order to be able to understand the person in front of us, you have to seek to understand and people don't understand what that actually means. <laughs> It means listen. It means yeah. be actually curious, not in service of you, in service yep. of them. Very good. Love it. All right, Charlie, we've we've uh, we've taken a lot of your time. These are the last two questions. Ooh. We actually ask every guest these two questions. Um, the first is we we ask our guests to highlight one skill that's that's made you elite as a salesperson, as a coach. What would you say that that top skill is for you? Being able to adapt in the moment and facilitate dialogue amongst other people in the room. So as a sales, let's say, leader in a room or I'm pitching, I'm in the conversation. A lot of the times it's not when I'm talking, it's me facilitating JR and this gentleman or this woman who are having the conversation and then I get to listen on what they're talking about. So then when I go back, I'm crafting something that is not what I said, it's what they said. That's good. That's good. I, I, I interviewed someone yesterday who's a sales leader, now a CEO. She was a, she was a cheerleader for the San Francisco 49ers and very similar answer. And I think you'll like this. She said, connecting the unconnected. That was her elite skill. Isn't that yeah. good? Uh, absolutely. I love it. Man, a connection, right? That is that is part of that is part of that is my company's name, right? Yes. It is connecting the unconnected. I love that. I love That's that. That's awesome. That's great. Um, all right. So last one. We we have this thing, we talk about it a lot. We we say like when we're we're working with a candidate or a leader or whatever, when we're working with somebody that's operating at the highest level, I always say, Hey, that that person is dialed in. And when people ask me, why do you work with athletes and veterans? I actually say it's like, cause I don't need to explain what being dialed in looks like, right? Cause if, if you've served in the military, you've played college sports or higher, you, you know what dialed in means. How would you describe a sales professional that is dialed in? Unbothered. 
calm in chaos. I think being able to walk into a room, a space, pitch, if you can be unbothered and be neutral and no one else knows where you're at, I think that is one of the best skills that you can have. And again, I, I equate that back to me being on the mount at the end of the game. Can you slow down when everyone else is speeding up and be focused on right here, right now? That's how you win. It's right here, right now, unbothered. Uh, that might be my one of my favorite answers we've ever gotten. That is uh, unbothered. Yeah. Hashtag unbothered. That's a t-shirt, dude. That's a t-shirt. <laughs> I love it. Charlie, thank you so much for your time, man. This is going to be hashtag required listening for our audience. I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for giving us the time, buddy. Of course, of course. I love what you and the group uh, are, are putting out to the world. It's needed for not just the military vets, for athletes, but truly for the world, even outside of those two people, uh, those two groups. Uh, I love what you guys are building and I'm here for it all. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having thank me. You. Thank you. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.